0: Turn with me, if you would, this morning to John chapter 14, verses 19 through verse 24. Hear now God's Word. Yet a little while, and the world sees me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall also live. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keeps them, He it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and will manifest myself unto him. Judas said unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loves me not keeps not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Lord, again we do thank you for your word. We thank you it is clear to those who love you. You've given us a desire to love you. And Lord, because You have dwelt in us and we dwell in You. And You've given us the Holy Spirit, Lord, again, to convict us of our sin, to bring us to Your Word, that we might again confess and continuously confess our sins. And we thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Again, this morning, as we continue on, remember, back in verse 15, we saw that Jesus open that whole paragraph with a conditional sentence the little word if if you love me keep my commandments again that's we might say this whole passage deals with loving God which is the first commandment and how do we know and how do we show that we love God See, this is the whole thing Jesus is the only one who has ever loved God with His whole body, mind, spirit, and soul. He's kept every jot and every tittle of the law of God. Not to prove something, but because He was God, because He did love the Father, He showed forth good works and showed forth by His power and might that He was God. And He commands us, to do the same thing, to love God and keep His Word. And so, in verse 15, he starts with that. He then promises them that as he is leaving right now, he's only an hour maybe away from actually going back to the Mount of Olives there where they generally stayed overnight often. And so you can understand his, his interest in them now and preparing them for what is about to come. And so He says He's going to send the Comforter who is just like Him. We said again last week, the Comforter is the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. And we see in that one verse, all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned. But now as we come down to verse ninety, he says, Yet a little while and the world sees me not. See, he's already said the world couldn't see him, but he said a little while. And so what is he speaking? What is the little while here that we are talking about? Remember, to see God is to understand what he's saying. A little while, and you see me no more. A little while, this person who's been with them for three years who's done great and marvelous miracles, not only of healing, but showing forth that He can turn water into wine. He calms a storm that was a hurricane on the Sea of Galilee. He speaks and the seas become quiet. Over and over He again does things that are just wonders. But now Christ is about to leave His disciples, but they are going to be the ones who now establish His church in the world. Christ has come to His own and His own has received Him not. They will in just hours put Him on a cross and crucify Him after Herod and Pilate have both said, I find no fault in Him. The law has no power, but He gives Him over to the Jews and the Romans to crucify So this is where he's talking about. Yet a little while and the world sees me no more. Now he's just got through in verse 17 saying, he speaks about the Comforter, that is the Paraclete, who's coming, the Holy Spirit. He says, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world sees not and cannot know Him. The world has already been blind to Jesus Christ. There's the picture. Jesus Himself, the very Son of God, the promised Messiah, the very one most of the Jews were looking for, has come. And because they are not of His world, because they are not of the seed of the serpent, they crucify Him. Thinking themselves to be friends with God and doing a good thing. And so now, he says, not a little, a little longer. A little while, and the world sees Him no more. Now, from that point on, when they put Him on the cross and put Him in the grave, the world, that is, the world of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, those who deny Christ will never see Him again. We would say until the final day of judgment when He literally judges them and casts them into hell forever. But the point is, they will not see Him because they do not know Him. When Jesus says, they don't see Me, He says, you see Me. You are the eyes of the Spirit, because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You believe Me, you trust Me, and you love My Word, and you want to fulfill it. And so we see that they do not His Word. They do not trust them to Him. But He says to them now, they'll see Me no more, because they're dead and they're trespassing in sin. But... He says in this verse, Because I live, you shall live also. Now remember, He's already said, You're in the Father, you in Me, and we're both in the Father. He says now, Because I live, you also shall live. And that little word also means in the same way that I live, you live. Now how does Christ live? And so as we look at we see At that day you shall know that I am in my Father. Now I think what he's talking about here is not the end of time, though that may be one issue that he's looking forward to, but at the immediate time, the eleven have an hour to be with him. He will go back to the Mount of Olives. It won't be long after that that Judas and the Romans and the Jews will come and take him back. They will not see him until the day of crucifixion. They probably were there and went and saw the cross and saw Jesus upon the cross in all the agony, all the doubt that they had, struggling within themselves. And Christ has just got through telling, trust God. I've told you already what's going to happen. Trust in God, put your faith in the living God. As I live, you shall live. Now, remember Christ on the cross, and when we talk about living as Christ, for some reason we don't get the idea that Christ is like us. He was a real man. So, when Christ died, was there a difference in his death than our death apart from his dying and being our sacrifice and our substitute? Christ tells us he was a man, he could never die because He was God. As to His deity, He could not die, but He became a man and voluntarily took upon Him a body that had the consequences of Adam's sin in it, though He was not a son of Adam. He was born again of the Holy Spirit, which could not die. So now, what happens to Christ at His death? As a man... Just like us, when Christ died, his soul went to be with the Lord. That is God. His body rested under the control, under the curse of sin in death, separated from itself. The Father had turned His back upon Him and in turning His back upon Him, He allowed Him to see death. But His soul Went to be with the Lord. And He joined Him in heaven. Where we will at death be joined together. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Same thing with Jesus. His body died. His body took upon Him the curse. His body took upon itself the curse of God for sin. And so now Christ says, And as I live, you'll live. Because Christ had conquered death, we are in Him. It says, we are buried with Him. That picture is that when Christ died, being in Christ, all those that are in Him from before the foundation of the world were in Christ, and Christ, when He went into the grave, because we are like Him, as I was saying last week, like a a jar of beans, put in a bag and thrown in the seed. It, wherever that bag goes, those seeds go with it. They're wherever it is. So we are in Christ. Wherever Christ is, we are. When He went into the grave, the curse of death that came upon Him, we were in the grave with Him, taking with Him the curse of death, though we felt nothing. The curse of death was upon Him. And being in Him, we died. We died. And then when He rose from the grave, we rose with Him victoriously over the grave. And Paul tells us, and rising He justified. He claimed us then. And that part, all salvation, when He said it is finished, it was completed. It doesn't mean it's over. It was completed. The job was done. The race was won. The trophy which stands and there's always a reminder of the race is there. We are His victorious prize, as it were. And so we see Him as He comes to this. A little while and you'll see me anymore, but the world will never see me. You'll see me through the eyes of faith. And now, as He says, and at that day, you will know. And I believe He's talking, firstly, about His resurrection remember as they go through those three days as i said i believe those were the worst days that their lives would ever ever go through the agony of it would never measure up to that again they had been with him for three years believing he was the one messiah never believing that he could see death even though he said it over to them several times, I must die. I will rise again. I will go to Jerusalem. I'll be crucified. And it wasn't in their minds at this time. And now Jesus is preparing them for this time. And he said, at that day you shall know. You'll know when you see me again You'll know what I have been telling you is true. I'm going, but I will return. I'm going, and you will look at me, and then you will understand what I'm telling you about. That I will be with you because I am with you, and I'll never forsake you. Can you imagine the joy that was going on now? And now, for 40 days, Jesus shows Himself to His disciples... And meaning not only the apostles, but others. Paul tells us that one time Jesus spoke to 500 people. But we're never told that He spoke to any unbeliever after that day. And so Jesus now, He's preparing them now. This time is coming. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and the Father in me. It won't just be words that I'm speaking and you're kind of shaking your head. Now what does all this mean? Now they will understand. That day you shall know that I am in my Father and you in me. And now in verse 21, Jesus changes his tone just a little bit now. The little words that mean something, okay? He's moved from you, plural, telling the eleven. Here's what you as the eleven. The leaders of the church. The founders, the pillars of the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Who will be the foundation in your writing of the word. And you will close the canon of scripture. And everything will rest in you now. As you have shown and are the pillar of the new covenant of Christ, in which not only Jews, but also the nations, the Gentiles, women will receive the sign. The kingdom will not just be in Israel. It will be the world. And I will indwell the people of God. So now in verse 24, he says, He that hath my commandment. He is a singular. He moves from looking at the We would say the founding body as a whole. He now turns individually to them and to the church. And remember, the main object here is the 11. And what's happening now with the foresight of how it applies later on to be worked out in the scripture. So he says now, He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. Now here again, we go back to the verbs. He that is continuously loving me and continuously keeping my commandments. We can say we do sin. We have evil thoughts. We say things that are not right, unkind, sometimes words we don't want think we'd normally say. God says that's sin. What about it? See, the difference between the world and you, you and I have the Holy Spirit, which is coming now at the day of Pentecost, which will be a new turn for them when they see the Almighty God working in salvation and 3,000 men confess Christ. But the point is right now, Christ is saying to them individually, but you need to love me. You need to keep my commandments as individual apostles. There is the body and there's the individual. And so now he says, here's the question you need to ask yourself. This is what, again, I think he tells us. We need to ask the question ourselves about these things. Where am I? Where's Christ playing? What's the part where Christ plays? Is Christ a figurehead or is He Lord? See, many people do things, and they come to church, they do a lot of things, and they have the attitude that, well, as long as I'm doing these things, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, and there I have no worries. But That's not true. If you have God's commandment, which is the first commandment, is love God with your whole heart. That's what we've opened up with. This whole chapter begins with the love of God. Keeping the commandments of God. When Christ gives the Sermon on the Mount, He discusses His part in the law. He's come to fulfill every jot and every tittle of the law. He's come not to destroy the law, nor the prophets. That means any of the Old Testament. Not any part of it. It all has application. And so again, He says, Now I've not come to, to destroy, but to fulfill All the things that it said about salvation and and what it needs. See, we have to ask as we look at it, what about my sin? That's part of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin. How can a man be saved if he was not convicted of his sin? And so Jesus here is saying, in that day, when they they understand, He says, He that hath My commandments and is keeping them continuously, He it is that loves Me. He's not saying we love Him and therefore He saves us. We're loving Him because we want to be saved so we love God. Or we do good works. We keep His commandments. That's what He said. This is the point, isn't it? Isn't this our contract? Keep the commandments and you go to heaven. That's not what it says. You keep the commandments because you love Him. If you love Me, keep My commandments. The fruit on the tree is... Does not gain anything and say, well, the tree is made good because it's got good fruit. No, the fruit is comes from the roots, which Paul tells us in, in Romans eleven, the roots are Christ Jesus. We are the fruit, the fruit of righteousness. The fruit shows that the tree is a good tree and is alive. The fruit is the fruit. It bears the fruit. And so we are God's fruit. He is our tree. And if we are following Him, it's because He dwells in us that we do good works. And so now Christ says again, He that loves Me shall be loved of My Father, and I will love him and will manifest Myself unto him. Now again, this word manifest, what does it mean? Okay, It's only used once or twice in the Old Testament. That is in the Septuagint, remember? They would have had the Septuagint. John uses it in his book quite a lot. It goes between the Hebraic and the Septuagint when he translates. But this word, generally in Scripture, in the New Testament, it has the idea of something that is bringing God to glory. It's a picture of the glory and majesty of God that is expressed openly. This word is used when Moses asked God that he might see his face. but have a visible. He said, you'll not see my face because no man can see my face and live. He puts Moses in the cleft of the rock. And that's called a manifestation. When Pharaoh saw Moses come in and tells him that God, Jehovah says, let my people go. And he says, who is your God? Who is Jehovah that I should obey Him? And he throws his rod on the ground and it becomes a serpent. The magicians do the same thing and Moses' rod eats all of theirs, swallows all their serpents. That was a manifestation of the power and might of God. Visibly seen. It may be other things. I believe when Abraham went to rescue Lot and he meets Melchizedek, remember the high priest of Salem, on the way back, he's seeing a vision. God is giving him a manifestation of His own glory and power and might in a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ. God manifests Himself when Isaiah goes into the temple. And it says He saw Adonai, Master, the Lord, high and lifted up. And John tells us that he saw Jesus Christ. That was a manifestation God showing His Son to Isaiah who was called Jehovah of Hosts. See, this is what the context of that word is and I think it's going to help us when we get to our next verse because, again, He's telling us how we love God and how God manifests. He manifests to us Himself in bringing His Word, the Spirit opening a word and making us understand that makes us to love God, makes us to see our sin and hide and desire to be forgiven of our sin and brings us. He tells us later on that the Holy Spirit condemns the world. But that's what we talk about manifestation is when we read the book and the book is alive to us and we desire to be like Him. We desire that Christ would return. Not to so we can escape, but that we might behold the Lord Jesus Christ who's done all these wonderful things for us because we love Him, we also love His Father. And so now we see, he says here in this verse, if you'll notice the little word, he says, verse 22, Judas said unto him, not scared." Now, Judas Iscariot has already left. Judas is probably also Thaddeus, whose name means courageous lion. And so it says, Judas asked the question now, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not into the world it is because the holy spirit will come now he will give us life he will open our minds our hearts to christ and we will understand our need of salvation if a man doesn't understand that he's a sinner he doesn't need god he might think of a god upstairs it's interesting, all these people are dropping dead, especially the football players. You'll hear the announcement, let's pray for their families. Half of these guys are atheists. They want nothing to do with Christ or His Word, but they still talk about praying in time of need. Well, the sinner gets his time of need when the Holy Spirit convicts him of sin. And He says, what must I do to be saved? Because he understands he's unsavable of himself. That's God showing us, manifesting Himself to us by opening our hearts and minds to ourselves that we would cry out to Christ. And the Holy Spirit has made us alive to that and shows us that He's manifesting that in His Word when we read it and it touches us. We lead God's Word. We desire to know more about God's Word. We want to be with other believers. We have an affinity to things of God and we hate the world. The world's system that would tear us apart. And so we see that God's manifestation there is that He comes to the world, but remember He's already said, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It cannot receive the things of God because it's lost, it's done. It is dead in trespasses and sin. And the world is like somebody going to the morgue with a basket of nice, fresh, cooked, fried chicken and potatoes and all the things that have this aroma of food. And, you know, the live people sit around and they can't stand this. What are you doing here? And all the dead people in their caskets are in those slabs. As the aromas fills up the room, pay no attention. See, the unbeliever is unaware. He's like a dead man laying on the road in the middle of the night. There's an 18-wheeler doing 60 miles, 70 miles an hour coming down the road. He's got his lights on. And all of a sudden, he sees this figure on the road and he's hitting his horn. His lights are on bright. He's banging his horn. And the man doesn't move. He's completely dead to the things around him. So the world is dead to the things of God. We should not expect them to be aroused, except when God arouses them and brings them to Him. This is what He's saying. He that loves me. So now Judas asked that question. Now Jesus' answer is this. Here's again, here's back to that conditional sentence. If, if a man continuously loves me, now notice the singular again, he will keep my words. And that's another one of those words. And In Psalm 119, it means the law of God, the the commands of God, the precepts of God. He says, He will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him. And now notice the word we there. My Father, He says, He's in my Father, I am in my Father, and we will come to Him. The Father and the Son now come to the disciples at this point. He's already promised them the Holy Spirit. He's preparing that everything you need now. You realize this is after resurrection. Things we've been talking to you all of a sudden make sense to them. And he says, "And we will come unto him, and make our abode with him." God makes his abode with us. We are in dwelling in the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us; we dwell in God. Father, Son. In Holy Spirit. An inseparable, eternal, undisturbed union with God. He's given us promise that He's with us. So, no matter what the situation, and the situation is getting very, very bad for the apostles. It's almost as they've gone beyond their abilities. But God's with them. Christ is with them. And it's just now three days. And their whole world will open again. And they'll understand, my God is with me. And they'll be able to go and stand before Herod and Pilate. They'll go before the Roman Caesars. Nero. And Nero can tell them, I'm going to chop your head off unless you confess and become a Roman. And deny your God. Yeah. Throughout the history, Fox's Book of Martyrs probably... Three or four thousand pages, nothing but martyrs throughout the histories of the church. And they've all stood faithful to the end. And so now in verse 24, now notice he comes back to a negative. This was a positive. The conditional system was positive. If you love me, if you are continuously love me, you will continuously keep my commandments. You will continuously be confessing your sins. And I will be continuously cleansing you from all unrighteousness. Because you have an advocate. Remember that the word advocate comes from the word paraclete, comforter, advocate, which is our legal representative. You have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who cleanses us. And so now, that's why we need to continuously be cleansing ourselves by coming to Him. And so now we see, He says, And the word which you hear is not mine. Now notice the but. It's a very firm, strong, adversative. On the contrary, the Father which sent me, the words are not mine, but they are my Father's words. That's what's the important thing. It is the Father. It is the Father who has given the Son the elect from before the foundation of the world because He loved them. It is the Son who's made covenant with the Father because He loves His Father and He would do the will of His Father and His will was that the Son would become man for man, become His substitute, His sacrifice. Give Himself for them and because of that, the Son loves this people, this chosen people, these again, the elect, who are sinners in need of a Savior. And so He says now, The words are not my Father which sent me. And so he's telling us, you can rest in my Father as I have rested in my Father. It is the Father who's given you to me. It is the Father who has placed you in me and I place you in the Father. And the Spirit together, we are as God, the triune God, your God, you will be our people. And those are the last words almost when we get to the book of Revelation. When we see a picture, I believe it's in chapter 21, where it says, And there is no need of the sun, meaning the Eshuen, for light, because the Lamb is the sun, Eshuen. He's the light of the world. And then he goes on, he says, He's the temple, and he says, I will dwell with them and be their God, and they shall be my people. There's the problem. There's the covenant that God has begun. And now He's fulfilled His covenant in His Son. And therefore, we are His people. We are His bride. We are His sheep. And therefore, we depend on Him because we are in Him who is in Christ, is in the Father and in the Son. And we need no more. Our faith is in the living God. Love God with your whole heart and mind and body and soul. And love His law and keep His law. Let's pray. Lord, again we pray that we might learn of Christ and we might see who He is, that He is in us and we are in Him. Whatever has happened to Him has happened to us. He has kept the law perfectly, and we, being in Him, have kept the law because He has kept the law and it's accounted unto us. He has taken our penalty and we are in Christ, and therefore He dies for us. And we are in Him and we can say we died with Him. And then the penalty of sin is death. And so we died in Him. And when He rose again, we rose in Him. And He tells us that in His resurrection, our justification was declared. And now we can say there's now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And we thank You for it. In Jesus' holy name, Amen.